Good morning. Everyone's silent. It's almost, it's actually almost afternoon. It's like, I have six minutes and then we got to get out of here. Just kidding. Um, don't worry, I'm going to talk longer than that. Sorry. Um, my name's Alyssa. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, one of the pastors here at Central City. And I love fall. Like the leaves falling and the breeze. This is just lovely. Hopefully it stays like this for a couple of weeks. Well, for the last, well, we've been in the book of Genesis since the beginning of June. It's taken us that long. It's a lot of chapters, 50 chapters. We're only on chapter 26, so halfway there. Um, but for the last month, while we've been outside, we've been focusing on the story of Abraham. Um, Abraham's covenant with God, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, um, Abraham's sacrifice of his firstborn son. We talked about that last week in the context of what does God desire of us? He desires um, us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. He doesn't desire these religious traditions and sacrifices that we sometimes bring. So Abraham is this first generation of the people of God. Uh, uh, scripture says that Abraham's descendants would number the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. Not only that, but through the children of Abraham, all the people of the earth would be blessed. Abraham's story, though, includes some shady things, if you didn't know. If you, I don't think we talked about very many of those shady things, but you can go back through and, and read. And, and we realize early on that with Abraham that God didn't choose him because he's perfect. He didn't choose him because he was perfect, but he chose him because he was willing, he was available. And because of that, God continued to be faithful to his promise to Abraham. And that's what we see with people in the Bible, right? That's one of the reasons why it gives us great hope that I don't have to be perfect because all these people in the Bible who, you know, were working with God, they weren't perfect either. So good. So I don't have to be either. But especially um, many of them, especially Abraham and his descendants, as we see in Genesis, have pretty dysfunctional families. You don't have to raise your hand, but, you know, I was going to ask, do any of you also have dysfunctional families? But that's a little, they might <laughs> they, your family might be here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I definitely have a dysfunctional family. I'm, I'll tell you all about it someday, but not from right here. Um, but we hear a number of times throughout Scripture that I am the God of, of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is found throughout the Old and New Testament. Every time God kind of like is going to do something new or big, he's like, you're, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus even says it. And these three fathers kind of of our faith, they kind of set the precedent for faithfulness and righteousness, not only among the people of God throughout Scripture, but also the surrounding political and geographical neighbors. People come to them because they see that God is working for these people, and they're like, we need to be a part of what your God is doing and what's happening, and we'll see that a little bit in this story. But digging into their stories can get a little messy. We see there are some shady things, and we're like, a little questionable. Um, so we're going to dig into the story of Isaac this morning. So we talked for a month about Abraham, and uh, this morning we're going to look at Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are nomads for much of their lives for a couple different reasons, but one of those reasons is that when God says go, they go. 
God said it to Abraham. We see here that um, God says to Isaac, live in the land where I tell you to live. There was a famine. God tells him to get up, leave, and live where I tell you to live. This is what God says to Isaac. He says, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, meaning he might have to move. And I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. Isaac's story begins in Genesis 17 when God tells Abraham that Sarah, his wife, will have a son and that he'll name him Isaac. And through Isaac, um, Abraham will be blessed and he will have all these children. It continues when Isaac is born and there's a story about Sarah laughing and that others will, will be filled with laughter as well because she's so old when she gives birth. And then God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac as a test of faith. And then God provides another sacrifice and Isaac is spared. And if we continue through Isaac's story, something that we begin to realize is that Isaac seems to be a passive character in his life. That life just happens to Isaac, at least as it's told in Scripture. Isaac is in the story, but the story is kind of moving around him and moving him forward. Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, and Isaac barely questions it. He's just like, okay, I guess we're doing this, and there's nothing else to sacrifice. Abraham also tells his servant, once Isaac is older, to go and find a wife for him. Like, Isaac is not a part of that conversation at all. He just, like, goes and gets a wife, and then he gets married. It does say that he loves his wife. I thought that was very profound. Isaac loves his wife. Isaac gets a blessing from God, but it seems only because of his father. Like, I'm going to bless you because of Abraham. And we'll see later in this story, I think we're going to talk about it in a few weeks, um, the story of Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. And even then, it's like this is just happening to Isaac. Like he's not, he's not an active character in, in, those, in those stories. Today we're going to send, spend a chunk of our time in, even though I've already talked to a bunch, um, in Genesis chapter 26. So this is really the only chapter that is about Isaac. There's like all the other chapters are about these surrounding characters, but this one is really Isaac's story. And in this chapter, Isaac's story so parallels his father Abraham's story that one of the commentators suggests about this king that's in the story that this king must have grown weary encountering this family, which I just thought was like, that's a sign of a dysfunctional family. <laughs> like everyone else is like a little weary when they come into town. Well, here's the rundown. So I'm not going to read through it, but you're welcome to follow along if you have a Bible or want to look on your phone. I'm just going to run through the story of Abraham. So there's a famine in the land so where Isaac was living, Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. And so God tells Isaac and Rebecca to leave and to go to Gerar, which is where the Philistines live. Um, and the Philistines king is named Abimelech. So this is the king that gets, becomes weary. So Abimelech, he's, he's the guy. So probably remembering what his dad did in this situation, if you look a few chapters earlier, Abraham, there's a famine, and God tells him to go to this land and, and where Abimelech is and does the same exact thing. So he's remembering what his dad did in this situation. And so Isaac and Rebekah pretend that they are siblings. The logic here, I think, and is explained in Scripture, is that Rebekah is so beautiful that the Philistines will kill Isaac so that they can have Rebekah. Right? I don't, I don't know. But once the king finds out that this happened again to him, he is so worried that without knowing, someone 
might have slept with Rebecca and caused them all to sin, or as he talks about, now they are all guilty because of this situation. So the king is like, why did you do this to us? What is happening? Please just go. And he gives orders that no one is allowed to either touch Isaac or Rebecca. So now they're safe to live in this land, and they continue to do so. Isaac becomes so wealthy in that place because now no one can touch them, right? He becomes so wealthy and powerful that the king asks him to move. He's like, can you please, like, go somewhere else now? Because you're, you're, you know, causing some tension here. And after several attempts of moving and trying to settle down in different places, his neighbors get a little upset as well, um, he finally finds a place he can settle. Towards the end of this story, um, the king then comes to Isaac for help because the king recognizes and witnesses God's work for and with Isaac. It's like your God is so powerful and is blessing you so much and helping you so much that the king is like, I need some of that. We need some of that. What can we do? And Isaac, which goes back to this promise that God gave to Abraham, Isaac was then able to bless the king and those people because of what God had been doing in him and through him. Even in the midst of, I view it as shady, like, hey, we're just siblings. I see that as a little shady. But even in the midst of that whole situation, people are able to see what God is doing. So that's this chapter 26 of really the only chapter that Isaac is really doing anything or the main character. Now, in, in our dysfunctional families, I'm, I'm going to assume some of you have some of that too, we sometimes can't tell which way is up or down. We follow the same patterns that our families have done, and, and we're not really sure. Maybe we feel uncomfortable about it, but that's what we know. We're not really sure which way is up or down or right or wrong. And, and I mean this in our nuclear families or our extended families, but I also mean this in our human family. Sometimes in, in our family, we can't really tell which way is up or down. Everyone's doing this thing, and I guess that I should just do that too. We can see God working, but sometimes our actions, our family's actions, humanity's actions seem so disconnected from what God might be doing as well. We might make our decisions out of fear or blame or jealousy or confusion. We hear God saying, I'm going to bless you. But then this is what I do, like constantly. I'm like, well, okay, now I have to make sure that that's going to happen. So I have to do all of these things. And I kind of try to force that blessing or force that idea or force that thing. Even though I know that God said, God is going to do it. The beautiful thing about Isaac's story here and, and Abraham and his sons is that God never leaves him. God says at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 26, verse 3, he says, I will be with you. He told him to go and he said, I will be with you. And then they were living in this land for a long, it says a long time. And, uh, you know, everything went down with the king. And at the end of that section, God says in verse 24, I am with you. God was with him at the beginning, and God is with him even through the end. An assumption that I had made for so long was that God was with me when I was good. But out of disappointment or something, God moved away when I was bad or did something wrong. Now, those are very, like, 
binary, right? Like it's not usually that black and white, but but that was just how I felt. And I think in dysfunctional families and dysfunctional human relationships, that's what we see. We see people who are with us when we're good and they move away when we're bad out of embarrassment or disappointment or whatever the separation is. They just, they tend to move away when we're bad. And so we put that on to God as well, but God doesn't work that way. And because God doesn't work that way, God's grace is always with us. The work that God is doing in us doesn't stop when we make a wrong decision or when we sin or when we fall short or we're confused. God's grace doesn't stop working in us. God picks us right back up, reminds us that God is with us, and keeps us moving. That is, I realized, if we accept that, and if we allow for that to happen. I felt stuck for so long. I felt like God's near. I felt God's nearness when I was good, when I was, you know, reading scripture and praying consistently and, and being encouraging and not being mean to people. Like, I felt God's nearness in those times, but I would pull away when I wasn't doing those patterns, those habits. I would pull away when I was mean to people because I assumed that's what God was doing. COVID in this whole season, you know, you can't, you can't talk to anyone without talking about COVID, so I have to, of course, bring it up in my sermon. COVID has been hard for all of us. Things have come up in ourselves, in our nation, in our world that we recognize is just not good. And because of that, I and maybe some of you and others that I've talked to have been asking the question, where is God? Is God even here? Is God near to me even if these prayers aren't being answered and even if the world seems to be going the opposite direction and falling apart? And I would say yes, of course, right? I would say yes, God is here. God is near. And maybe it feels harder to acknowledge God, harder to accept God's grace in this time because everything is so difficult and the questions are so big and life seems so overwhelming. But I think Isaac was here, here too. If we look in the scripture, he, he had to keep moving. Like he moved three different times because he was like getting in these fights with his neighbors and he couldn't settle down. His, the tensions were high and he just, I'm sure he felt so unsettled with his family. But God, knowing that life can be overwhelming, that everything can just feel so difficult, he came to Isaac in a dream. He came to Isaac when he couldn't run away, when he couldn't turn away from God. He was like, you're resting, you're here, I'm coming to you in a dream. And it's then when God tells him that I am with you. When we take time, when we give space to sit with God, God is there. It's hard and honestly, it takes practice. It is not something that you just like, I can do it tomorrow. It's something that takes practice to allow, to allow ourselves to sit with God and to recognize that God is there. And God is saying to each of us, just like he says to Isaac, do not be afraid. I am with you. I don't know what your family is like, but I know that our human family is so broken right now. And this feels like a big moment in history, but we can look back throughout the history of the world and see just how broken humanity has always been. And God, through Jesus, offers us a response to that brokenness. Jesus offers us grace, never-ending grace, love, and forgiveness. 
And that grace, love, and forgiveness, it's for all those people out there that we struggle with. It's for our families who have given us dysfunctional and destructive patterns. It's for our neighbors who keep pushing us away or causing tension. It's for our children who are making mistakes and figuring out what it means to live in this broken world. And that grace and love and forgiveness is for each one of us as well. And so today, and what we learn with Isaac is that even though he might be this passive character, and even in the times where he's like the acting character, and we feel like it's a little shady or makes mistakes or might not do what we think is right, God is with him. And God is with us as well in those times. I want you to think about like where or for whom are you seeking grace, love, or forgiveness? Because it's there. Let's pray. God, you are so good. We sang that this morning, and, and it's so true. When we look at Scripture, and you are so good, even in the midst of all of these things, God, that, that we just keep doing. We keep moving and, and going our direction and doing things that, that we've learned or that we think are right, get us into sticky, messy situations. And God, you are still good, and you are still faithful, and you are still with us. God, I pray that you would remind each and every one of us that right now, today, and this week, that whatever the circumstances are of our lives, of our families, and especially of our world, that you have not left us in the midst of that. That you are right there with us that you are providing for us, that you are picking us up when we fall, and that you will continue to be faithful. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us, even when we can't realize it, even when we can't see it, even when we don't want it. And we thank you for just everything that you have given us, your forgiveness and your love, and your grace. We pray that you would enable us to provide that and to offer that as freely as you have to those around us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.